All right. Hey, good morning, Bel Air Church. Good morning, good morning. You know, every single week we have many people join us online. Uh, last week we had somebody join us from Portugal who was texting us saying, thank you so much that you offer a streaming service. Just want you to know that when you're traveling, if you're sick, wherever you are around the globe, you can go onto our website. The morning services, 8.30 and 11 a.m. are streamed live. We have people join us around the globe. If you're with us online, thank you so much for choosing to be with us today. And yet at the same time, nothing replaces being in person. And if you live locally in the area, we hope that you would take the next step to get connected. And if you ever miss any of these messages, for example, last week, how many of you uh, missed last week's message by Jane Catherine Wolf? Now, how many of you were here and say it was absolutely worth listening to that message? Wasn't it phenomenal? Now, uh, I want you to know, if you missed it, no, no problem. You can download our app online, uh, Bell Air Church. You can go to iTunes. You can listen to uh, those messages. You can watch those. We have about 2,000 people every single week uh, download and listen to the sermons every single week. Phenomenal message last week, and we're getting into a brand new series today. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to Galatians chapter 1. We're starting a brand new series out of a letter, a letter to a church of people it's not a building, it's a, it's a community of people in an area called Galatia. This is modern-day Turkey. And as you get to Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, I'm going to read for us just these 10 verses. What we're going to do is we're going to leave those Bibles open, we're going to go through it one verse at a time, and I'm thrilled that you're here with us today. Absolutely essential that we catch what God wants us to hear on this morning. Actually, let me, let me pray for us before I read and we dive into God's Word. God, would I get out of the way? I'm just a human. I've got faults, I've got fears, I've got doubts about many things. And yet one thing I'm certain of is that it's your word that transforms everything, a word that comes from your lips out of love with truth. And so, God, I pray that it would be your truth, your grace that shines through this moment. Would it change us in ways nothing else can? Let us be open. God, to leading by your Spirit. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Galatians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. All right, let's leave these Bibles open. If you're new to Bel Air, you heard us just say, thanks be to God. 
Uh, we say that every time before a message we read Scripture because we absolutely believe that there is no word in the world, nothing that is said by anyone else other than God's word that we should give more weight to. There's nothing that should have more authority in our life than God's word. We look to God's Word to give us direction how we make decisions, how we live, how we love, how we see ourselves, how we see the world around us. We believe that this is God's Word for us. This is not just advice. It's not just recommendations. Uh, this is not just instructions for how to live. This is God's Word to us, and we absolutely believe that what is said here should have ultimate authority over us. And Paul is trying to make that point right from the get-go. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle, but I haven't just been sent by people, all right? I'm not just authoring this letter to you in the first century because I think it's a good idea. I haven't been commissioned by a group of people. There's not some council that told me to write you. I have been given authority by God through Jesus to write this to you. That's why this letter is included in Scripture. A lot of letters were written in the first century. A lot of letters in the first century are not included in Scripture. And so we truly believe that this isn't just a letter that has to do with a group of people in the first century in modern-day Turkey. It has everything to do with us today. Because this letter, though written by human hands, was, was breathed life by the Holy Spirit. So it transcends space and time. Scripture says about itself that though heaven and earth will one day pass away before the new heavens and new earth will be reestablished, but God's Word will always remain. So Paul is speaking to a group of people, right here it says, end of verse 2, to the churches of Galatia. This is a grouping of people all throughout this area. Again, as I said, in modern-day Turkey. And he starts off and he says this common phrase, grace and peace to you. Grace to you and peace from God. Now, if this was a 10-week series, which it's not, it's only a four-week series, if it was a 10-week series, I would do grace and peace as one sermon. I mean, I could do like three sermons on grace and peace, and I'm not that good of a preacher. Like, good preachers could do like an entire year on grace and peace. In fact, you can actually understand the fullness of the Christian faith, the life with Jesus by those three words, grace and peace. And Paul often starts these letters with grace and peace. He says, grace to you and peace from God. You've got to understand that there is a grace given to you in Jesus Christ. You can't miss that. There's something that you don't deserve that you now have because God is graceful towards you. You can't afford the ticket into the show, yet it's been bought for you. That's grace. You should be going to jail, but somebody paid the ticket paid the fine, goes to jail for you. That's grace. You don't deserve to get into that college, but there's somebody that you know that says, you know what, I know you got a 1.2 throughout high school. You don't deserve it, but I know the president of the school, and you're getting it. That's grace. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. You haven't heard that before? Some of you have. Let me say it again. God's riches. God's riches. The most powerful being the cosmos has a family for you, has a future for you, has a purpose for you, has a peace for you, has a security for you, has a joy for you. But it's a costly gift. It comes at Christ's expense. 
so that you would be a new creation, that you would have hope, that you would be beloved in Christ, all these things. The Apostle Paul is telling them, and God says, I want you to hear it today, grace to you. It's something that you can't earn. That's got to be the root of everything that bears fruit in your life. You see, when grace is at the core of who you are, man, I am loved by God. I don't deserve it. I receive this grace. Paul says, now peace should flow out of your life. That's why it's grace and peace. It's cause and effect. If the roots of grace go down deep in our life, then the fruit of peace should be present. But when we root our lives in anything other than that, any type of fruit that we bear is rotten. But this peace is not just the absence of violence or war. This is shalom. It's this Jewish word that's so beautiful. It's, it's completeness. It's wholeness in our relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, with creation. You see, out of the overflow of living a life, receiving God's grace through faith, peace should flow out into how we treat each other, how we treat people that wrong us, who are our enemies. A peace should flow out in, in, in how we care for God's creation. A peace should flow out of us that when somebody wrongs us, that, that we should actually do the hard thing and forgive and not be bitter. All these things should flow out of our life. And Paul says, grace and peace to you. And he goes on. Open those Bibles back up. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Now, the word sin, it's such a loaded word. I imagine uh, here today, though you're here in person or online, you might have a, a variety of definitions of sin. It's a loaded word. Maybe you grew up in a background where uh, it causes fear and guilt and shame to rise up in you when you hear that word, and maybe you've stuffed it away. But the word sin in the Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament, is the word hamartia. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. It gives the picture of like an archer, you know, like Robin Hood, uh, Katniss, you know, Aberdeen, you know, aiming for the wrong thing. Uh, there's a target. Well, God says, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to love. This is how I want you to navigate through life, and you're going to thrive when you do, and yet we aim for the wrong thing. When somebody wrongs you, I want you to aim for forgiveness. They've got to earn your trust, but, but freely forgive them. And when we aim towards revenge, we aim towards bitterness, it's worse off for ourselves. We drink the poison, we expect them to die, and, and we're aiming for the wrong thing. That's, that, that's sin. Every single one of us, Scripture says, sins. And you've got to hear this, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you, if you can memorize this, that's great. Uh, when you sin, it doesn't make you a sinner. You see, there's this common thought that, you know, when I aim for the wrong thing, oh, now I'm a sinner, now God hates me, all that. No, 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 no. You see, you sin because you are a sinner. Huge difference. Let me explain in practical terms. Uh, I have a son, 11 months old. I love him, but he is a sinner by nature. And I say that with so much love. And some of you are like, who is this guy? Why did I show up today to support a friend to become a new member? No, no, hang with me here. <laughs> Scripture says that we were born in this world and we have a bent, we have a brokenness. We are naturally selfish. 
And we see it in the earliest ages. So I've got this 11-month-old who I adore, who I would give my life for. His name's Barrett. I absolutely love him, but he is a sinner, and he sins because of it. Now, what does it look like? I tell him not to do things. He likes to climb things, and he likes to hold on to lamps and pull them backwards. No, he will destroy his life if he goes that way. So it's Judah. Judah. I do that all the time. That's my older son. Barrett, second child, I know. Any second children here, right? Yeah, okay. So, Barrett, no, don't do, don't do that. So now what does he do? He knows. He can't speak. He knows, though, that I'm telling him not to do it. So what does he do? Right before he goes to do it, he looks for me. When he sees me seeing him, he walks. We can't walk. He, he crawls away, right? But when he looks and he doesn't see me seeing him, and though in certain instances I do, I've got a vantage point where I can see him and he's looking for me, what does he do? He looks and he starts going, I rush over. Where does that come from? Scripture says that all people that are born on this planet are born into sin by our very nature. We are not perfectly loving. By our very nature, we don't put others first. By our very nature, we don't treat the planet the way God wants us to. By our very nature, we, we are so broken. And as a result of that, we've been estranged from ourselves, the life that God wants for us, with God, with creation. And here's what's so amazing. The way Paul phrases this, no word is out of place. He says this, Galatians 1, verse 4, Jesus gave himself for our sins. And here's what's absolutely remarkable. When you imagine Jesus being arrested, I imagine that many of you imagine him being arrested almost like as a victim, taken by force. How many of you, when you imagine what it was like when Jesus was arrested before he was put to trial and then put to cross, how many of you would say, gosh, you know, wow, kind of like a victim. I mean, he was an amazing guy. What a victim. Anybody feel that way? How many of you have seen art where it seems like they are taking Jesus by force? Anybody seen art? Okay. Get that out of your mind. That's not what Scripture says. You don't have time today, but read before you go to bed tonight, John 18. John 18. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Scripture says that a detachment of Roman soldiers crossed the Kidron Valley to arrest him. A detachment means at least 300 soldiers. 300 soldiers. These are Roman soldiers, the most powerful military force on the planet in the first century. 300 Navy SEALs, 300 Green Berets come to arrest Jesus by force. What is Jesus? He says the first word. He sees them coming. He says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus from Nazareth. Very, a very human title, Right? I am he, Jesus responds. What does John say next? When you read John 18 before you head it's a pillar, you're going to see that the narrator, John, says, when he said, I am he, 300 Green Berets, Navy SEALs, paid to stand on their feet, step back, and fell to the ground. Because he said, I, What? You see, when he says, I am he, 
he is using the name of God and he has given it to himself because he doesn't give himself the name of God because he's crazy because God says, this is my beloved son. With him I'm well pleased. It's the same name that God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. I am. You're looking for this man, Jesus of Nazareth. You think I'm just a great man, a great teacher. You can put me up on the bookshelf with other people. No, no, no. I am the great I am, the God in the flesh. I am he causing soldiers to fall to the ground. What does Jesus say next? Who is it that you're looking for? Oh, snap. I mean, Jesus is kind of portrayed as kind of this like weird hippy-dippy kind of like, you know, off in the wilderness. He just says, the name of God, this is, this is who I am. They fall day. He says, who is it that you're looking for on this Sunday in August? Who is it that you're looking for? And they say, Jesus from Nazareth. And I almost wonder if they put a little question mark in their tone. Jesus from Nazareth? They're on their backs. He says, I told you that I am he. So therefore, take me and let my disciples go free. And John the narrator says he did this to fulfill the prophecy that not one of his followers would be lost. Jesus went to the cross victorious, not as a victim. If he had the power to just say his name and Green Berets, Navy Seals, fall to the ground, he could call fire from heaven, great angel army. He takes all of that power, all of that authority, and he says, I'm going to use all of that to give my life. You can't take my life. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it away to set you free. And when Jesus goes to the cross... Out of obedience to the Father. You know what he does? He becomes all of our brokenness. Second Corinthians says that he actually, though he lived a perfect life, though he knew no sin, never did sin, never aimed for the wrong sin, uh, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, which means to be approved. I mean, on one hand, what a bad trade that Jesus gave. He gave his life for our sin. I mean, they don't teach you in school that that's a good trade. To give your life away, to take upon all the hate, all the hurt, all the bigotry, all the evil of all of humanity. That's what Jesus did. Because even the curse couldn't break him. You see Galatians 3.13, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. Galatians 3.13 says this, that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why and how? By becoming a curse for us. On the cross, Jesus fulfills all the promises of God. He fulfills the law, the entire Hebrew Scriptures. He becomes everything that we could ever need to have a right relationship with God. He, he, he accomplishes that which we will never do. He accomplishes all the things that would cause God to look at you in Christ and say, you are my beloved, you are holy, you are righteous. I don't see any sin or brokenness within you. And the Apostle Paul is trying to remember and trying to remind all of these people. And the Holy Spirit today is saying, you cannot forget the grace and peace that comes because Jesus gave his life for you. But what's fascinating is in verse 6, he takes a turn. But before you look, don't look yet. 
you know, most of Paul's letters, he uh, goes into a little section on Thanksgiving. Oh, I thank God for you. When I think of you, I, I just give thanks. This is one of the few letters where Paul is not thankful for them. And the tone changes. After this amazing intro, he says this, I am astonished. I am irritated. I'm steaming mad. I am overwhelmed with this unexplainable thought of the fact. My, my, my heart has dropped. I, I'm astonished. But what he doesn't say is this. He doesn't say, I'm astonished, I, I'm mad because you've let me down. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I, I'm so mad because you didn't fulfill what you said you would do. He doesn't say that. He is furious. Why? Open those Bibles back up. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is furious mad because they've turned their backs on Christ. You see, we live in a world where people get furious. We get so mad about the most insignificant things. We get mad that people let us down. We get mad that somebody cuts off on the road. We get mad that somebody didn't recommend us. We get mad the way somebody looks at us. We get furious all the time. And yet, we rarely get furious for the right reason, of which Paul is doing here. He sees a group of Christians. He's speaking to Christians. They have now deserted Jesus so quickly. He rightly is infuriated out of love. Who do you have in your life that gets furious with you for the right reasons? You see, what's happening right here in this section, there's a group of people called the Judaizers who have come in. They say they're coming in the name of Jesus. They say that James, the brother of Jesus, has sent them. And what they're doing is, is that they're saying, yeah, you can believe in Jesus and you'll be saved if only you also fulfill the law. Yeah, I, I know some of you, you didn't grow up Jewish, and you're Gentiles, which means uh, any other nation other than a Jewish nation. Yeah, you can give your life to Christ, but you can't be saved. You can't be part of one of us. You can't be welcome to this community unless, if only, you do a few things, namely, circumcision. Which, if you haven't read the Hebrew Scriptures, is a significant part of how the nation of Israel showed the world... I don't know how to show the world because they had clothes on. <laughs> but it was this sign, it was a symbol of the covenant that God was making with them, this, this circumcision. This is what was happening in the early church. Yes, grace. Ah, but you have to be circumcised. How's that go over in the first century with adults? I mean, some of you are complaining that we've got a 10-week membership process. We got it good here. I mean, like way too easy. You see, we live in a world where uh, the grace and peace that comes through Jesus 
on one hand, is, is, is almost so simple, is almost too good to be true, that we often fall off to one side or the other. The church in Corinth fell off to the other side of lawlessness. They weren't saying if only. They were saying it's not that big of a deal that I sleep around with everyone. It's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I believe in you, but it's not that big of a deal if I do all these things. You see, lawlessness was a distortion of the, the simple message of grace and peace that came through Jesus. Now, in Galatia, they fell into the trap of legalism. Yes, it's Jesus plus you got to do all these things. You see, if ever we think, oh, Jesus, he's a great guy, but, you know, I, I, I've got to live a good life. You're falling off that side of legalism. If you ever say, if only, and we do this all the time, I see it with this community. Yeah, you believe in Jesus, but, you know, if only you would serve. You know, if only you would show up to church every Sunday. Uh, pastor, if only you would wear a tie to church. Uh, if only you would wear jeans. You know, yes, right? You know, uh, brother, you're falling off in legalism here. No, I'm kidding. We've got a great relationship. You see, whenever we say, if only, if only, if we add these things, if we ever add anything to the simple message of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says that we should be furious with that person out of love. In fact, he goes so far to use this strong language. Listen to this. He says this. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. He says it again, as we have said before, now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to call a curse down upon any person that intentionally takes people away from the curse breaker. I'm going to say that again. This is so serious, Paul says. I love you too much that if anyone in your life is taking you away from the simplicity of God's love for you through Jesus Christ, let them be cursed. You need people in your life that can speak to you in that loving way. That when you begin to say, yeah, you know, I've been following Jesus, but if only I got that promotion, then things would be okay. You need somebody to say to you, no, it's not the promotion that's going to save you. It's not the promotion that's going to give you comfort. Some of you might be saying, you know, if only I found a person, if only I got into a relationship, if only I was a little bit healthier, if only my script got picked up, if only, if only, if only. We do this all the time. You need people in your life that will speak to you with grace and truth, with absolute love, and say, no, you think that anything there can give you peace or joy or security? You've missed it, the simplicity of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. There's people in your life that are being enticed away from the beauty and the love of Jesus Christ, and they need you to speak to them with that furious love. Then when you hear them coming to you and saying, you know, I'm man, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed, I'm just overworked. I think what I need is I need a vacation. Yes, that might be true, but that is your moment in that place to say, you know what, actually, you know what you need? You need Jesus right now. Can I pray for you? Can we open up God's Word that even before the vacation, you can experience a peace and a joy and a comfort that surpasses all understanding? 
So why is our love not furious? Because we're called to have a furious love, a love that is passionate, a love that does not compromise, a love that is laser-focused for longing for the best in ourselves and from other people. And I think one of the reasons why we don't love with a furious love is because we know Christ the way I know Kevin Costner. That was a little turn there. You're like, I was taking what? Oh, hold on. Was I supposed to write that down? Yes. Some of us know Jesus Christ like I know Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner, born in California, 1955. I had his first break in a film in 1979. It was filmed, though it wasn't released until 1981, Hot Malibu Nights. Anybody see that film? Re-released in 1986. Man, Kevin Costner. I mean, he was one of the greatest actors of our generation. And uh, anybody see the film he directed, uh, Dances with Wolves? Yes. yes, amazing. He was nominated for 12 Academy Awards. Won two of them that year, best director, best film. I mean, think about him in, in Robin Hood. Not Men of Tights, but like the real Robin Hood, right? <laughs> Field of Dreams, right? Amazing, right? Waterworld was amazing. <laughs> well, at least when I was a kid, I thought it was amazing because I was so into Kevin Costner. And you know what was interesting? Uh, Kevin Costner actually lived in the area where I grew up. Uh, his daughter, Annie, was on my sister's softball team. Growing up, I, I would see Kevin Costner from afar, and I, and I had gathered all this information about Kevin Costner. I, I knew the sound of his voice. I knew so much about him. On film, I looked up to him. I just, it, it was amazing. And we used to hang out at softball games together. But if you ask him today, if you had his phone number or his agent's number, and you ask him, hey, tell me about the time where you hung out with Drew on a baseball game in the 80s. Drew who? And then I'd take a step back. Oh, well, yeah, he was on the other side of the field. And um, we actually, we never talked. Uh, but I, I, I'm looking at Robin Hood. You know, I, I, Boulder, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at him across the field, and I, I know about him. That's different than knowing him. You see, I have uh, collected information about Kevin Costner. I know about Kevin Costner. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. And some of us know Christ the way I know Kevin Costner. You know a lot about Jesus. You've collected a lot of information about him. Oh, yeah, I know this. I know that. I know this. I know that. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship? A relationship where you're opening up your heart to him and you're saying, I have no idea how I'm going to go through this divorce. Do you go to him and say, I have no idea how I'm going to go through this death. Where you go to him and say, God, I need your help. Jesus, guide me. I don't understand. Reveal to me. I need you. I need you. That prayer isn't your last resort. It's your first instinct. You see, God longs to have a relationship with you, and that's why Paul was furious. They had replaced a relationship with the God of the cosmos with rules and regulations. Miller Church, you've got a God who died, who gave his life to be in a relationship with you. He loves you with a furious love, with a laser-like focus. He was willing to go to the cross 
defeat death, take on the powers of hell because he loves you. Receive that furious love. Open up your heart and your mind to that furious love. Open up God's Word and read about that furious love. Spend time praying or be in a group to learn how to pray, to, to understand just an iota of the fullness of that furious love. As 1 John 4 says, we can love others only because God first loved us. So why is not our love furious? We haven't yet received the furious, ferocious, tenacious, all-consuming love of Jesus Christ. Yes, we can give our life to Him, but He says, I want you to spend eternity exploring more, experiencing more, growing in your experience and knowledge of this, this furious love. It takes a lot of humility to, with empty hands, receive that love. Some of us, we want to hold on to all the things that we think cause us not to deserve that love. Some of us want to hold on to the things that we think actually cause us to deserve that love. Jesus says, lay him at the foot of the cross and take a hold of this furious love. Let's begin there. Let's pray. Loving God, we in this moment are going to go to a table of which you are at the head of, a communion table of which we're reminded that you gave willingly and intentionally your life for us.